Welcome to Abby and the Mustangs. This podcast connects Mustang lovers everywhere and sparks conversations in an effort to promote the adoptions of American Mustangs. I'm your host, Abby Condi. everybody and welcome back to the show. Um, so this episode is going to be pretty short and sweet, but I wanted to put this out there for some of the beginner um, listeners that are out there that aren't super familiar with the wild horses and burrows, but would really like to know some more. Um, I know that I constantly talk about wild horse education and getting educated and stuff, and I realize I haven't done a very good job at preparing some of you newer listeners um, who are also new to the Mustangs and Burrows uh, for this podcast. So what that means is, is I'm going to be going through um, the Mustang story, um, kind of where the Mustangs originated, how they got to the United States, things like that, who manages them. I'm going to be talking about some different acronyms that are mentioned heavily throughout the podcast so that you understand what they are and what they mean um, and different things like that. So to kind of start out, the wild Mustangs are not native to the United States. And I've said that before, but the reason is, is because they were actually brought here by a Spanish explorer named Hernan Cortez uh, back in the 1500s. And so what happened was, is these horses were transported on a ship and brought to, I believe it was like south of, uh, right south of Mexico. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that's where they ended up showing up. I could be wrong about that. Um, anyway, so they were brought over on a ship, and so it's actually kind of cool. Well, I think it's cool, but um, the way that horses were transported on ships back then is that they were like... I guess, suspended in the air by, like, stalings, if you can picture that in your mind, Um, because I'm guessing they wanted all the space on the ship for um, some other cargo, things like that, to survive the journey, um, so they could survive through the journey from Spain to the United States, well, what is now the United States, North America. It's North America, not the United States. Um, But anyway, so these horses were brought by that Spanish explorer, and um, they actually had to swim to shore. So these horses were suspended up in the air for months and months, and then they couldn't just get onto some, you know, nice hard ground. They had to swim to shore. So obviously not all of the horses made it. I think around 12 of them in total made it back to the United States, and those were some Spanish horses. Spanish foundation horses, um, which is very common to hear about um, some different herds having more Spanish influence um, in their genetics and things like that, which is highly sought after. Um, Anyway, so that's kind of where the horses came from, and we use them, the Native Americans use them uh, for transportation and things like that. We use them for transportation. We use them in wars. Um, Over over all of that time, horses have gotten loose. um, Studs and mares have gotten loose and have um, taken over some of the land, and so that's where they started to repopulate very heavily um, and then became feral. Um, So even though we refer to horses as wild horses, they are technically feral, kind of like a feral cat or a feral dog, where it's a domesticated animal, but over the course of the years it has, you know, not been handled by humans and has just run rampant out 
you know, on the land in your neighborhood, whatever. Um, so they're technically feral. Uh, so who manages the wild horses? The Bureau of Land Management actually manages them. Um, and this all, I don't know if it was like from the beginning of time that BLM started managing and managing these horses, but um, they, they are protected. So wild horses out in the desert, they are protected um, federally. So if you were to go out and catch one, or um, if someone were to shoot one or kill one, that is a federal crime and you will go to uh, prison for that. So, um, so how does the BLM manage these different herds? There's a, there's a, a bunch of different ways that they might go about managing herds. Um, the most common one is a gather or removal. Um, and that's when they go out and they gather these horses and they take a number of them off the land and put them into holding where they're then processed and prepped for adoption. Um, this isn't always the case. Sometimes um, they will go out to a herd and um, administer a contraceptive to mares, which is um, could be a number of different contraceptives. There's a lot of different names. Um, but anyways, they sometimes are released back out so that they can, you know, just live out there and hopefully not have um, any more, you know, offspring or things like that because horses are extremely... Uh, I mean, they repopulate very quickly. I mean, if there are five mares out there, you can bet every single one of those mares is going to have a baby back to back to back to back. Um, I've even seen yearlings, poor yearlings and two-year-olds that are, you know, just huge baby bellies. They're pregnant um, because they, I mean, they don't wait out in the wild. It's, it's, um, it's pretty terrible. I mean, they're young babies, babies having babies pretty much. Um, Anyway, so I wanted to go over some of the acronyms that are heavily mentioned in my podcast, um, one of them being uh, AML, which is an appropriate management level. So um, to explain an appropriate management level, that kind of means, say you have an acre of land, and um, the appropriate management level for that acre of land is five horses. This is all hypothetical, of course. Um, and so imagine you have 10 horses out there, so they're over the AML. So then the BLM would, you know, come on up gather five of the horses, and then the numbers back down to the appropriate management level. So that's kind of what that means. Obviously, that's not how it works, but like I said, it's all hypothetical just for the sake of explaining the term. Um, another term is HMA, and this is extremely common. Um, you'll hear this a lot in the podcast, and that is referring to a herd management area. So a herd management area is a, a basically a name of a land, or not a name of the land, but it's a piece of land um, where there is a specific wild horse herd. So one herd management area that um, I'm familiar with is Triple B, or there's another one called Swayze. There's another called, um, I mean, there's a ton of them, Conger. You have, um, we have one here called Cibola Trigo. This is really close by to where I live here in Yuma. And um, the horses up there, I know they're pretty small. But anyways, that's a herd management area is, you know, where these horses reside. Um, and it's just kind of where they all go. So uh, the BLM will obviously manage these different herd areas um, to try and keep the numbers down at the appropriate management level. So that's what HMA is. Um how BLM processes animals. So when I say they process them and get them ready for adoption, um, what that means is they bring the horses in and they do have to test them for um, a number of different sicknesses, obviously like influenza, um, <clears throat> the West Nile virus, strangles. I mean, they just obviously test them for a number of things to make sure that they do not contaminate or um, get any other horses in the facility sick. So they'll do that. They blood test all of them, horses and burrows, to make sure that they're not sick or anything like that. And 
and then they will assign them uh, different numbers and they also have to check how old the horses are. All of it is pretty much an estimate. Um, whenever they age horses, it's not going to be 100% accurate because these are wild animals. They're not easy to handle. It's not like you can just, you know, examine their teeth for as long as you want to to try and figure out how old these horses are. So I think they go by size and obviously their teeth. Um, and then they will freeze brand them. So a freeze brand is a small brand on the side of uh, the horse's neck and it's on the left side of their neck. And they, the BLM actually uses um, something called the alpha angle, which is, uh, it's, it's like a number code. So each angle of these different little like V shapes, each angle stands for a number. Um, and so that's what they use on these horses to put, put their birth date. So it goes, there's a U.S. symbol, which obviously states that this is a United States or an American Mustang. That goes first. And then there's two symbols, one on top of the other. The one on top is going to be... Um, it's like the first digit of the birth year. So if a horse was born in 2020, um, the first symbol would stand for a two. The second symbol underneath would stand for a zero. So then you would know, oh, okay, this horse was born in 2020. Um, the rest of the number is a registrative number or registration number. Um, the last four numbers actually go on a tag that will hang on the horse's neck. Um, and that's easy so that the BLM can identify each of these, these horses from afar because you can't really read brands if a horse's mane is long um, or if their fur is long or if the brand didn't really come out super clear then it's kind of hard to see so that's why they have the neck tags and that's also what we if if you hear me refer to oh we got the tag off that's what it is it's just a little string um, with a tag at the bottom and it hangs um, right on their throat um, right behind the ears it's in a pretty safe spot um, Anyway, so on the next thing, uh, sale eligible horses and the adoption process. So there's different there's different statuses of horses um, in the BLM, like uh, adoption statuses, I mean. So if a horse is what's called sale eligible or sales authority, um, well, I think sales, yeah, they're, they're like the same thing, but I don't know why they have different names to them. Um, but anyways, probably because sales eligible means that you can purchase the Mustang straight from BLM and then it's like eligible for sale like again. Um, or something like that. It's kind of weird. But anyways, sales authority or sales eligible horses are like the same thing. So um, when you adopt them from BLM, you don't really adopt them. You purchase them. So you own them outright. You don't have to have um, the uh, like facility requirements or anything like that. Um, because the horses are just for sale. I don't know what goes into deciding what horse is sales authority or not, um, but that's going to be something that I'm going to ask when we speak to a BLM representative later in the podcast. Once they get approved to talk to me, I've been waiting. Um, that's kind of the, that's the only reason we haven't had a BLM employee on the podcast yet is because they have to get approval and I'm waiting for this one employee um, who I'm really excited to speak with and we won't be able to talk to her until January. So anyways, that was off topic, but, <laughs> but yeah, so then the adoption process. So if you wanted to adopt a horse, um, kind of the process goes like this. It, it can go a number of different ways depending the way that you decide to get a horse. So if you go through the trainer incentive program, also known as TIP, um, and you get a horse from there, what happens is, is you meet with a trainer who is a TIP trainer for BLM and Mustang Heritage Foundation. And they will usually have horses that are already trained or you can uh, just adopt them outright still wild from a TIP trainer. But 
a tip trainer will pretty much train the horse to load in a trailer. Uh, you can halter it, you can approach the animal, you can pick up all four feet and just basic handling. They're barely trained, but it's just the basic handling so that adopters can have a better handle on the horses when they first get them if they don't have enough experience or um, they don't want to go through the dangerous process of gentling their own wild horse. Um, that's one way to do it. And the uh, tip trainer will give you the freeze mark number of the animal. You go to BLM, you fill out an adoption application, you put in the very specific um, freeze mark to that animal, and then you would put the trainer's name at the top so that the BLM knows where the horse is coming from. Um, and then after that, once you get approved, then you go and pick up your horse from the tip trainer, and then and then that that's one way to adopt. Um, the adoption process is pretty simple. It's just, I mean, it's all self-explanatory, and the BLM has like different pamphlets that ensure that you will fill out the adoption application the right way um, and effectively so that you can obviously get your animal. Um, another way is there are some online adoptions that they do, um, and I think all of them are pretty much, you have to bid on the animal that you want. Um, and so I've seen those be extremely successful, especially when with really flashy horses, they go for a lot of money, even though they're completely wild. Um, so that's one. Uh, another way is to just go to a holding facility and adopt an animal yourself. You go through the pens, look and see what you want. Uh, talk to BLM staff and they will help you through the adoption uh, process. So that's kind of... <clears throat> That's kind of the rundown on that. I can definitely, if you guys are interested in going way deep into that, um, I can definitely post some um, resources on the uh, discussion forum on the page, um, Abby and the Mustangs podcast discussion forum, if you guys are interested in that, which, I mean... That's kind of boring, so <laughs> I doubt it. But anyways, um, so there's also something called long-term holding, and I was supposed to mention this earlier with the other holding um, when I was talking about the holding facility before. Um, but long-term holding is actually for horses that um, either three-strike horses um, or I don't really know any other way that horses make it to long-term holding, but even though long-term holding sounds like a really scary phrase, it's really not. Um, there are these big, vast pastures like back east that the BLM um, has purchased for horses, and it's basically for Mustangs who, um, like three-strike horses, those are horses that have gone to three different adoption events and have been passed up every time. So, you know, if they went to one adoption event and nobody adopted them, that's one strike. And then obviously, it happens two more times and that's three strikes and then they're sent to long-term holding which like I said it's these big vast pastures and these horses get to leave live uh, the remainder of their lives out there um, <clears throat> so that's long-term holding uh, efforts made to increase Mustang and burrow adoptions um, so you've heard we had an episode beforehand, if you heard it, it was about the Arizona tip challenge. That's one way to kind of um, up the general, um, I guess, awareness of Mustangs and Burrows. That's a 100-day challenge, and that is for trainers who, um, that's for actually anybody. A beginner trainer could do it, an experienced trainer could do it, anybody could do it, as long as you have the facility requirements or, you know, you keep your horse somewhere else where the facility requirements are, um, correct and um i guess 
approved. But anyway, so what that is, it's you get a horse and you have it for 100 days. It's a wild Mustang, 100 days, and you have 100 days to train it to do a number of different maneuvers. Uh, the basics are to load in a trailer, pick up all four feet, um, be handleable. You can walk it, trot it, whatever, do all these different things. Um, and then these trainers will compete against each other with their individual horses uh, for cash prizes, uh, different things like that. And so that is uh, usually sponsored by uh, the Mustang Heritage Foundation if it's one of their sanctioned events. Um, <clears throat> And so that's one way. And those are very, very common. Those are all over the country. People will host uh, tip challenges. Another one is the Extreme Mustang Makeover. It's pretty much the same concept as a tip challenge. There is a youth and an adult division. I don't think that they do burrows for Extreme Mustang Makeovers. I, I think it's strictly horses. Um, so, But for the adult division and the Extreme Mustang Makeover, it is 100 days, but the adults are allowed to ride their horses. Um, actually, they're supposed to ride the horses because a number of the classes at the um the show itself are under saddle so and then that's a way for all those horses are up for adoption at the conclusion of the um competition and so the uh the only way that the trainers actually can keep their horses if is if they buy their horses back so those horses are um up for adoption by blm and i think the proceeds half of the proceeds go to the trainer half go to um the bureau of land management so um those are just some of the different uh, acronyms and different terms that uh, you'll hear a lot of in the podcast. I hope that this was somewhat helpful. I know I probably left some things out like, um, oh, I wanted to mention how many horses are actually out on the range right now. So the appropriate management level for for right now, um, what they say the number is, is like 26,000. Um, and that is for the entire West. So that's counting every single HMA. That should be the how many horses are out on the land. But but unfortunately, the real number is closer to 95,000. That's how many horses are actually out there right now. So that's about a 70,000. Uh, that's a 70,000 gap there of, you know, that's a lot of horses that are over the appropriate management level. So, um, and then there's even more horses in holding. I think there's probably more than 50,000 horses in holding pens waiting to be adopted, waiting for their forever home to come along, um, and things like that. And then obviously some horses are sent to long-term holding. Um, but yeah, so what you can do to help with that, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, is to, if you have the means to do so, adopt a horse. If not, donate to the Mustang Heritage Foundation or the Bureau of Land Management or any of their external stakeholders, which I hope that I will have um, a list of the external stakeholders that work alongside BLM to help manage the horses. Um, but I know that one is uh, the Humane Society of the United States for sure. Um, Return to Freedom is another. Um, I can't remember the rest, but like I said, I'll get a list of that and we'll mention it in another um, in another episode. So. Um, so yeah, if there's anything that I left out or any questions that you guys have whatsoever, please don't be shy and go to the podcast discussion forum and ask me your questions or direct message me on Facebook. You can find me in the group um, and just ask your questions. Let me know that you were here listening to this episode, um, if it was helpful or anything like that. I definitely would like for us to be a little more active on the page for sure. So even if you just wanted to post, you know, you and your Mustang, what you guys did today um, on the page, that would be really, really awesome. Um, but anyways, obviously you don't have to, but I would love to see it. So that would be really great. 
anyways, I don't really have anything else to add, I think, unless, um, I think I'll just kind of give you guys an update on what I'm doing, um, before I end this, this one session. Um, but I do have two tip horses in right now. They both have adopters. Um, one of them actually, which I was talking about this earlier, she's a two-year-old and she's just massive. Um, she is totally pregnant. When we first, when I first got her here, um, she came from Swayze HMA. So she was at the Delta facility facility um in utah but anyways when she came in she didn't look pregnant at all she was very skinny well not very skinny but she was you know slender and she's a small horse she's two so um i didn't think anything of it but then she had started losing some weight but her belly was getting bigger so i was like huh she looks like she has a wormy belly so i dewormed her um and her belly did not go down but she did gain the weight back over her top line so it turns out i mean it's she i'm like 80 percent sure that this horse is pregnant i mean and she has just blown up like a balloon. Um, so she's really, really big. And then the other horse that I have, um, he has an adopter as well. He's also from Swayze. He's a gelding, absolutely stunning horse. Now I've had him for about, I want to say almost a month. And with all of our sessions, I can get two inches from that horse's face and he will not let me touch him just yet. So we're working a lot on draw, um, kind of drawing his nose towards my hand. I'm hoping at some point, maybe he'll accidentally touch my hand and um, we can just get that over with because it's getting a little ridiculous at this point. Um, he's so close that I want to push it, but I know that if I push it, it's just going to throw us a couple steps back. Um, and with the mare, the pregnant mare that I was talking about, I named her Brandy. Um, I don't know if her adopter will keep the name, but she's completed all of her tip requirements. She is just so easygoing. I wish they were all like her. I mean, I can pick up all four feet. I can run around her. I can jump up and down and she's just really cool. Easy to halt her, easy to, um, walk around. She's a very good walker. Um, a little difficult to get in the trailer. I don't know if that's because of her big belly to blame, um, because she really is kind of massive. Um, I don't know, but she does go in the trailer. It's just not very easy for her to do so. Um, but she's going to stay here in Yuma. Her doctor lives in town, so I'm excited for her, and I'm very excited for the baby. I, I was kind of hoping that the baby would be, be would be born here at my house, but I doubt that that's going to happen. I think she's going to leave this week. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm up to right now with the Mustangs here at my house. Um, but it, for future stuff, I'm, I actually signed up for the um, Southern California Tip Challenge, and what's really cool about this upcoming tip challenge is that there are two others after it and if you compete in all three of the tip challenges you have the chance to win um the triple crown champion uh i don't really know it's just the triple crown triple crown champion that's a tongue twister um but it's the SoCal tip challenge, and then there's a Las Vegas tip challenge, and then the Arizona tip challenge. So if somebody competes in all three, which I'm going to attempt to do, um, then they have the chance to win. Obviously, if you accumulate enough points, then you'll be the triple crown wi winner of all three. Um, so that's really cool. But I did sign up for the SoCal tip challenge, and I looked at the list of trainers, and my jaw just about dropped to the floor. So many talented trainers that are going to be at this tip challenge, so I don't have any expectations except to go there and show off my horse to the best of my ability and then find it a home. Uh, so I don't know exactly what I'm going to get just yet, but I'll keep you guys updated on that. It's always really exciting to do these competitions because, um, you know, it's just another horse that you get to pull out a holding. And I think she said that there were 25 applicants. So if 
every person that applied, so all 25 people applied and they get their animals and, you know, place them into homes, that's 25 horses. That's awesome. I mean, that is a big chunk, you know, taken out um, and placed into holding, or not placed into holding, <laughs> placed into homes out of holding. Um, so I'm really excited to be a part of that. Uh, so yeah, and I'm definitely going to document my journey throughout the way. Um, when I pick up the horse and when it comes home and all of its progress and then obviously the tip challenge itself. So I'm very, very excited for that. Um, if any of you listeners are also doing the SoCal tip challenge or are interested, um, I know that they're looking for more youth competitors and more borough competitors. Um, so if you're interested in that, any youth any youth kids or, you know, borough lovers go, you know, bother your husband or go bug your parents to let you uh, join the SoCal Tip Challenge. It's going to be a really good time. It's a really amazing experience. And I am always here for anybody who ever needs help um, training wise or just encouragement wise. Um, we're all here to help each other. So I'm really excited for that. Well, anyways, that's all I had for my little tangent of that today. So thank you guys so much again for being uh, such loyal listeners. I see all of the views and I see um, that you guys are hanging in here with me. So I'm really excited for that. Um, so just a big thank you. Thanksgiving was last week. So I'm feeling all sentimental and, and stuff and the holidays are coming up. So, um, this is a time to be with your family and to enjoy the freedom that we have in this, um, amazing country that we live in. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited for next week's episode as well. So I'll hear back from you guys very soon. This episode is brought to you by Crossbow Equine Services. Kylie Bowen, owner, founder, and CEO of Crossbow Equine, is offering services to coach you in your equine business needs. As a trainer and equine entrepreneur herself, Kylie has the knowledge from learning through past mistakes as an early business owner and knows the equine industry from the inside out. Equine sales marketing, leveraging social media, and helping you develop your brand are just some of the things that she does best when it comes to serving you and your horses. For listeners of this podcast, Kylie is offering a free 15-minute consultation call. You can contact her by email at crossbowequinellc at aol.com. That's crossbowequinellc at aol.com with the subject line Mustang 20. To get in touch and book your free equine business consultation, email crossbowequinellc at aol.com. Thank you. And now a message from one of our sponsors. Shelby's Homemade Creations. I, Shelby, started this small business in hopes of having a fun hobby and turning my little dream of having a small business into reality. In my online store, I sell an array of soaps and are all natural, made from both glycerin and shea butter, based with essential oils added for scent and some health benefits. I do have a surprise coming this winter with a new base option. Candles are all made from all natural soy wax and the scents are all essential oils to help put a natural scent in the home without burning harsh chemicals that are in other candles. Candle melts, these are my favorites. I start with a soy wax base and add in the essential oils for scent and then dye for fun colors. These are then poured into little cartons and ready for the forever homes to be melted. I use this product daily. My wax warmer always has a new scent in it. 
New to the shop are bath bombs. They are all natural, started from scratch, and scented with essential oils for a nice bath time aroma. Lastly, the newest addition to the shop is lip balms made from all natural beeswax. I start with melting the beeswax and then adding some coconut oil and essential oils, then letting them dry in either a tube or a tin, then they're off for their forever homes. There is something for everyone at www.shelbyshomemadecreations.com. There's a tons of scents ranging from sweet to savory, one to fit each and every person. Now, Shelby sent me some scents and some candle melts, and by far, my favorite ones have to be Snickerdoodle and Citrus Paradise. So head on over to www.shelbyshomemadecreations.com and find your scent, and you will be pleased. Thank you so much. If you're interested in adopting a Mustang or Burrow, or are looking for resources, please visit blm.gov programs and select the Wild Horse and Burrow column to learn more. If you are not in the position to adopt, please share this podcast with a friend and start a conversation. If you would like to donate to our Wild Horses and Burrows, please visit mustangheritagefoundation.org donate. Thanks for listening.